All right, everybody, good morning. Uh, this is Bridges episode four. We're going to be talking about food today, all right? So I hope you had breakfast. I, I hope that today um, you already had something to eat because if not, then you're going to feel definitely hungry after this. We're going to be talking about um, the most famous foods uh, of different countries around the world. So uh, without further ado, let's just get to it, yeah? <laughs> All right, everybody. So, like I say, welcome to episode four. All right, today we're going to be talking about the most popular food from different countries, uh, for no reason really. I mean, because uh, I just felt like today um, I was feeling a bit hungry, and I was just feeling like, damn, I want to know something new. Um, we're going to be talking about the most um, usual foods, I guess, that you would know from the Occidental world, but then. Like in the eastern side of the world, right? Like in Asia, in India, in Africa, there are so many dishes that we don't know here in Europe and definitely not in the uh, US and South America. So I just felt like today it could be like a good opportunity to to maybe have a look at things that you might have never heard before and maybe just give it a try. You know, maybe it will stick to your retina and uh, you might want to try it one day and you might be like, okay, today I'm coming out of my comfort zone, right? So, so yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about different foods, all right? We're going to be having a look at uh, around 30 different countries, all right? And we're going to start by uh, what is my half hometown, which is London. We're going to be we're going to be talking about fish and chips. Um, I mean, fish and chips, for those of you that never tried it before, which uh, <laughs> I hope is not many. Uh, fish and chips is something that sounds disgusting to most Spanish people and to most Latin American people because it's a very greasy um, piece of fish, and then like you just get it even greasier with all the with all the chips and stuff. But um, I have to say, it's quite nice. Uh, at least when I was in when I was living in England as a kid, like we would have that every Friday, and I w- I'm not going to say that I was looking forward to it, but but I have to say that I was glad it was Friday for fish and chips. I don't know. It's one of those things that that you don't really get to like until you live in England. You know what I mean? It's not it's not really that bad. I, I really encourage anybody out there that might be thinking, "Ugh, this sounds disgusting." Well, trust me, you have to try it. You have to try it at least. Um, so it's like, yeah, lots of people will, um, you know, garnish that like you know, salt, vinegar, and 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 ketchup or or curry, but like. To be honest, like as as soon as it's a good, as long as it's a um, a good piece of fish, and as long as you fry the chips correctly, you should be good to go. I mean, it's not rocket science, really, isn't? So, uh, with this, we go to Paris, and oh, funnily enough, I was in I was in Paris like literally last weekend, um, and I should be this weekend too because it's like the Champions League final, but. Yeah. And we are going to be talking about crepes or crepes, as they would say in in French. And frankly, um, I have to say that if anybody out there knows a good place to have crepes in in France or in or in Paris in particular, like, just let me know because I was not impressed like with the crepe that I had uh, last weekend. I really wasn't. And I've had some amazing crepes in in Switzerland, and I have some amazing crepes like down in Lyon which is like by the south of France but uh, but I have to say I'm just not 
I'm not really impressed by the crepe that I had and it had like rave reviews on, on Google Maps and I was just like, is this it? It really like can't be, it really can't be like this, you know, like this, this really can't be it. You know what I mean? Like it has to be better than this. So something that I know about crepes is that there is a day uh, in the year, which is the 2nd of February. And the 2nd of February in Paris, they celebrate Krebs Day. So, you know, if you're ever around uh, Paris during that date, uh, well, just make sure to to go to your local Krebs Paris and, and get, a, get a little crepe. Yeah, next, next one, we're going to go to Dublin. Um, this one is something that I've never tried before, which is box tea. Um, frankly, what I see is, um, a, you know, a bunch of potatoes and I see some, some sauce that looks like, uh, garlic sauce maybe, or just like herb sauce and yogurt and, and stuff. But, um, what I see here, um, is that it's a potato cake. Um, so it's also like, it's also known as a tatty scone in, in Scotland. And uh, it's traditionally cut into triangular shape before serving. Uh, yeah, so it's a traditional Irish food, right, from the northwest of Ireland. And like I say, I have never tried it before. I don't really know what to expect of, what to expect of it. So it's basically like a, a potato pancake. Um, if anybody is around Dublin, which... Um, Actually, I will be during the summer. I'll, I'll make sure to to have a look at that and, and try it. Uh, since I can't talk much about it, then let's just move on to the next. Um, then we go to Edinburgh. Haggis, yeah. Um, <laughs> if anybody watches The Simpsons, like you surely remember Willie saying like that he's going to go and have haggis, you know, as a as a way to relax. Um, haggis is um, is a bit of a disgusting thing if you if you really think about it because it's all the uh pig intestines and all the brains and all the carcass and, and all of that like you know the thing that nobody wants from the from the pork like apparently they just make like a, a big stew with that or so i heard uh, i've never tried it myself before uh they also use blood that's that's also something and and you know a lot of people like complain about haggis like saying oh my god it's disgusting and stuff but I have to say it has to be good. I mean, because yeah, okay, like it's it's a part of the pork that you know doesn't necessarily look very attractive, but then at the same time, like it has to taste all right. I mean, if people have been eating it for decades and, and centuries, then it just it has to have something. I mean, if it's what I always say, if if you think that something is disgusting, then just at least try it because there has to be a reason why people have been eating it for decades. Um, yeah, so the reason why we might know haggis in Spain is because there is a blood sausage called morcilla, which is also made of um, pig intestines and is made of blood and, and it looks black. And, and I think that, you know, haggis has to be an interesting thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a vegetarian myself. I'm not going to try it in this moment of, of my life. But back when I wasn't a vegetarian, I would have definitely tried it. And to anybody that might be interested, I, I really encourage them to go. So, yeah, with that being said, we're going to move to Wales. Okay, we're going to um, talk about the Welsh rare bit, the rare bit. And uh, 
often like liken to classy cheese on toast or a grilled cheese. Uh, well, honestly, I've never gone to Wales before. Um, I have no idea of what this could be, but if this is supposed to be some sort of, um, yeah, like, what is it? Like a grilled cheese that is uh, hot buttered uh, in sauce of cheese, mustard, Worcestershire, ale or beer, and then placed on a hot grill. I thought, oh my God, that has to be good. That actually has to be really good. And then, well, I suppose that they must include some bacon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise known as Welsh rabbit. I have to say, I'm pretty interested in that. I would like to, I'd like to try that one. Um, so yeah, 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 definitely. Out of, out of all the ones that I've mentioned so far, this is the one that I would most likely, uh, want to try if, if they asked me like, which one's your, um, your most appealing so far. And then we go on to let's let's just move out of the UK, um, and then we go to Rome. We're going to have pizza, pizza in Rome. Oh my god! Actually, like this this list is going to get me roasted. Um, the pizza from Rome is different from the pizza in Naples, and I have to say that the pizza from Naples is better from the pizza in Rome, because the pizza in Naples is a bit more raw, and it's it tastes a little it's it tastes a little more like pizza. And in Rome, I feel like they overcook it a tiny bit too much because like the, the, the bottom of the pizza is a bit uh, too toasted to my liking. But with that being said, uh, I would always, always go for a, for a Roman pizzeria over an American pizzeria any day, any day of the week. Um, and there is a, a, a pizza in particular that I really like, which is the Roman pizza, which is uh, tomato sauce, anchovies. Uh, mozzarella cheese and basil and it is absolutely amazing i mean for anybody that that knows about it or, or anybody that's tried it before like it is fantastic um also something that i heard about rome is that they sell their pizzas in rectangular trays so it's not um well sometimes not 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 always all the time obviously um i i heard that they sometimes sell it in in a circular um sort of shape but that some other times they also sell it in in a rectangle so yeah i mean it just has to be interesting the currywurst of berlin <laughs> the currywurst is a basically it's a sausage uh, you know if you ever go to berlin there are lots of places where you can get a currywurst and um and it's basically just uh, a sausage that they just slice up and and they get it like with um, with fries, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And it's is well, I tried it once when I was a kid, like I was about ten when I was in Berlin for the first time. And uh, yeah, I mean, and the reason why it's called a currywurst is because it's got curry powder uh, on top of it. So so yeah, um, apparently there are like some. Um, what do you call it? Like there are some museums in in Berlin that that tell you the story of why currywurst is a is a big thing. And anyway, so yeah, um, we're going to Spain now. Oh my God, we're going to my half hometown, my other half hometown, which is Madrid, and <laughs> we're going to be talking about churros. And churros, in fact, um, are different from the ones that they make in Mexico. Uh, the churros that they have in Madrid are just a, a sugared dough right so it's like a sweet dough that you basically just deep fry 
um, and they're not filled with anything because I, I know that in Mexico, most churros, like they're filled with cream and oh my God, like just going back to my beginnings again, like I have to put this in silence. Bugger. Anyway, um, and churros are not something that you have every day. Churros are only a thing on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's kind of like a tradition, I suppose, like to have churros on a Sunday morning with a cup of hot chocolate. And the hot chocolate, again, is not the hot chocolate that you would have in in the UK or that you would have in Switzerland or that you would have in, in France. Like the hot chocolate that they serve in Spain with churros is a thick plaster <laughs> of, of chocolate that you're supposed to um, um, have the the churro dipped in. And and yeah, it's super hot, so it's very easy for your tongue to burn. And uh, and there is a place in particular called San Ginés, which is close to Seoul. Um, I'm just I know this because well, we've gone there a couple of times, obviously. And San Ginés is a is a big deal. In fact, like lots of celebrities like from all over the world have gone there. They have like a hall of fame of all the people that have gone to to have churros to San Ginés, and and yeah, it's near so uh, churros don't necessarily have to be expensive, but but I have to say that in San Ginés they, they might get a little pricey. There is another variation, by the way, of churros, which are burras. And if churros are meant to be like a ribbon, right? Like they're meant to look like a little, um, yeah, just like a, like a little view um, that just closes in itself, then the burra is just meant to be like a, like a stick of dough and it's thicker and, and it just absorbs a bit more of the, of the chocolate. And I prefer it. Um, honestly, <clears throat> then we go to Lisbon, uh, the pastel de nata. Oh my God. Like this is amazing. Like, I don't know if the pastel de nata is the same thing as the pastel de Belém, uh, but I know that in Lisbon, there is a thing called the pastel de Belém, which is, it's just fantastic. It's like a little, um, tartelette, um, that has dough inside. And they also like roast the, the caramel on top. Oh my god, it's fantastic! It's fantastic. Um, oh yeah, so the pastel de nata is uh, the pastel de Belém. Yeah, it's the okay. It's the same thing. Awesome. You really have to try that. I mean, Portugal is one of the best places in the world, to my liking. Um, the food is fantastic. The 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 history and the monuments and the people and the fact that they have one of the best beaches like if you like surfing as well like portugal in general is fantastic um my favorite dish was cod like before i turned into a vegetarian and i went to portugal uh twice or three times in my life and honestly like i couldn't stop eating cod and pastels of Berlin when i was in in lisbon it's honestly amazing so anybody out there, just really try it. Then we're jumping all the way to Copenhagen. Uh, oh, this is going to be a bit um, difficult for me to pronounce. It sounds like smorebrod, uh, or oh, I didn't but didn't butcher that. But yeah, the smorebrod is the butter bread. Apparently, it's an open-faced sandwich, and as from what I can see. It just includes a lot of different things because I can see peas, I can see a little herb, I can see some red peppers, I can see some capers. Um, 
Yeah, and it says that this was an integral part of Danish culture as it dates back to the 19th century when it was the main meal of Danish farmers. Today, they are eaten for breakfast, lunch, or dinner across the country. So it consists of a slice of dark rye bread topped with meats of with meats or fish and accompanied by various condiments. In fact, the toppings are usually so generous, it's almost impossible to make out the bread underneath. That's what I was about to say, you know, that I can see just so many things um, on the dish that I really can't see where the bread has to, <laughs> where the bread is at. So, so yeah, uh, Copenhagers, let us know if there's, if this Smorobrud is, is good. And if I obviously butcher the pronunciation, don't take it personal. I just don't really know, um, what it's meant to sound like. Then we go to Moscow. Uh, all right. I suppose that this has to be some of the first hints of Asian food that we're going to have here. Um, pelmeni. Pelmeni look like some dumplings that are stuffed with uh, maybe beef uh, or maybe pork or something inside. And I see there is a soup um, right next to the pelmeni. Um, these remind me a lot of the Polish pierogi. I don't know if the Polish pierogi are in this um, are in this list, but if it's not, then we're going to make an honorable mention of them because, like the Polish pierogi, like big up to them, like they're um, amazing, and the and the pelmeni, I suppose, have to be like some equivalent of that. They're usually served with sour cream, butter, and chopped herbs. Yeah, they they really have to be like pierogi. I also see that Russian pelmeni are a kind of a dumpling with a meat filling, usually beef, inside a dough bowl. Um, the traditional way of cooking pelmeni is boiling in salt water. Yeah, I mean, it's literally, it's just like that. They look amazing, though. They look bigger than pierogi. Um, and they have to be, I mean, they just, from the look of it, they just have to look fantastic. They just have to taste fantastic. Oh, Russian food is also incredible. I mean, Slavic food in, in general, like, so underrated, really. Like, they, they cook so well, and we don't even know about it. Oh, like... Eating in Poland, Russia, Lithuania, Slovenia, and stuff like that, they just cook so well. I, I wish, um, you know, I wish we had more of, uh, of a contact with the Slavic culture because it's really amazing. And then we're jumping to Georgia, not the US Georgia. We're going to the Georgia country. Uh, there is a thingy called Kinkali, uh, which are typical from Tbilisi. And Kinkali is the national dish of Georgia. It's the number one food every local introduces to their foreign friends visiting the country. And it's again, it's a meat dumpling. It looks like um, like a little uh, bag that is wrapped uh, somewhat like on the top. And it's a bit like a dim sum. Um, I don't know if the 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 Kinkali is served on a on a certain sort of syrup. But but I see that there is some oil or maybe like some some little thingy underneath the kinkali. But let's have a look at this. Uncooked minced meat mixture of beef and pork is wrapped in a dough and put in a large pot to boil. The way the meat produces a small amount of broth inside. Oh, this way the meat produces amount a small amount of broth inside. Kinkali is also eaten in a special way. You take it with both your hands. You take a small bite and blow the air inside to make the meat and broth a bit cooler. And then you suck the juice out and then you continue eating the dumpling. It sounds a bit complicated, but I suppose that you just give it a little bite 
you blow inside so that everything cools down a little, and then you just drink the the broth that is cooked inside. Wow, that has to that has to be interesting. That has to be really interesting. And I suppose that the broth um, must be quite tasty. I mean, if if they also include some some vegetables inside, it just has to be amazing. Now we're jumping from Georgia to Tokyo. I mean, that's quite a trip. <laughs> and we'll be talking about sushi, obviously, uh, because sushi is the the you know the emblem of Japanese gastronomy. Uh, in Tokyo, you can have all kinds of sushi. Uh, I haven't been to Tokyo myself. In fact, I would love to. But um, something that I do know about um, sushi is that it used to be for rich people. Um, but, you know, because the appeal of it and, and stuff like in, in Asian gastronomy, I don't know how, but most of what uh, like most of what used to be for rich people now is for poor people. Most, most of what is now for poor people now is for rich people. Like, for example, the bird's nest soup, it's something that um, low class people would have. And now it's for very rich people. And sushi for example which used to be for the rich now is is a very you know um, popular dish really all over the world and it's still expensive but but everybody can afford it anyway so yeah and oh look it says here that you can get two pieces of fresh sushi at genki sushi for 100 yen uh don't know how much 100 yen is but doesn't sound like a lot uh so so would you look at that i mean the only thing that you have to be careful with is the fact that it's raw fish you really have to know where to go for it because like raw fish can kill you man so just be careful with that you know it's one of those problems that us vegetarians don't have so <laughs> and then we jump this is a smaller jump we're going to hong kong to have a look at the pineapple bun and the pineapple bun with butter apparently is one of the most common local Hong Kong eats uh, at Cha Cha An Tengs or the Hong, the Hong Kong style cafes. Oh, I didn't know that there were like Hong Kong style cafes. Like that has to be interesting. Let's see, like the Cha Cha An Teng culture and its offerings came about from British colonization of Hong Kong and is a British blend and is a perfect blend of East meets West. <laughs> This, this has to be super interesting. I'm actually going to look up uh, the name, like the Cha Cha Anteng. Just going to have a look at one image on, on Google and see what that's like. And I'll just try and describe it to you. Okay, the Cha Cha Anteng. Oh, it's, uh, well, it's not a place in particular. I guess it just has to be like a, like a certain cooking style. Uh but from what I can see, like there is a picture that I can see on Google of people eating on a, on a corner, I mean, on tables and everything. And then there are dishes that look like broths. Uh, they, um, there is like a, like a broth with, with some noodles that are inside the broth. And then there seem to be some dumplings and some vegetables chopped there. Um, uh, then I can, yeah, I can also see that there are some scrambled eggs with bread and next to it, like what looks like a bit, um, a bit like a, like an Oriental dish. Um, huh, this is interesting. I actually have to see what Chan Chan Teng is about. 
really interesting. Okay, okay. You always you always learn something new every day. Uh, we're jumping to Singapore now for the chili crab. Ah, uh, yeah, I heard I heard about this before. I heard that in Singapore, like their their crab is incredible, and uh, like Singaporeans, um, in fact, like since they know how to really spice their food because they they in in that part of the world, like everything gets spicy, but everything is like well spiced. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not aggressive. It's just that they really spice it uh, very well. So so it's something that I would really like to try. Uh, I'm starting to realize that if I want to go traveling the world and if I want to go to that side of um, to that side of Asia and, and that side of the world, I think that I'm going to have to skip being a vegetarian. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. I might I might um, I might not be it like for like some months, but. <laughs> But it's just because there are so many dishes around the world that just include meat. Uh, so yeah, the um, chili crab, from what I can see, they can trace their ancestry to China, India, and the other parts of the Malay archipelago. So yeah, it's a fusion of these cultures. I suppose that the spicing has to come from India, and I. I have to say that this red sauce that it's uh, cooked with, like it might be like a tomato sauce. And and what I see is that they just serve the crab, like boom, there you go. Like it's got like some sauce on it. So, so I mean, I, I would expect my hands to get quite dirty there. And yeah, I honestly, I mean, it does look very good. Yep. Okay, um, we jump now to Beijing because there is the Beijing Chinese egg crepe. Oh, nice! So this is like, uh, oh my god, that is massive! Like the the Chinese egg crepe. I mean, I'm I'm gonna try and describe it to you. It's like a, it's like a crepe, but but like the diameter of it seems to be like maybe eighty centimeters, or maybe a meter. Like that that thing is is huge, man. Uh, the pronunciation, the pronunciation of it, is Jianbing, and uh, it looks like an egg roll. I don't, I don't really see what is inside. Mm, let me see. Watching the process of creating Jianbing is almost as good as actually biting into one. Um, first, you'll cook or will pour a doughy batter made of wheat and mung bean paste. Don't know what mung bean is, um, and spread it around using a flat stick. He'll crack a few eggs into the mix and let the crepe grill until it's all ready. Then you have the choice of a few fun ingredients like cilantro and, and scallions, fried wonton to give it a bit of a crunch, and both savory and spicy sauces. Huh. Oh, okay. So it's like the crepe is what is both underneath and on top of the egg. Okay. Like I see. I see. I thought that it was like the egg itself was the crepe, but no, oh, that's that. Okay, that's actually very interesting as well. All right, we're moving to South Korea now, uh, to the Tteokbokki. Um, yeah. Well, it, it looks like that's octopus. Um, I mean, I'm going to have a look and see if this is in fact um, octopus or or some sort of squid. Um, in its simplest form, the street snack is comp is comprised of stir-fried rice cakes coated with a blazingly hot, slightly sweet chili sauce. 
wait for real that's not that's not fish there might be an egg or some odeng which are fish cakes thrown in for good measure and varying levels of sauce it's popular now to eat tteokboki tteokboki in a very soupy sauce there are many variations of tteokboki as there are subway stations in Seoul. Uh, for a cheap version, visit, visit a street cart. Um, okay, okay, so I thought that was um, some squid, but but no, apparently it's not. So yeah, it's some, it's some soup in which you can, I mean, I see noodles there, or, or what look like noodles, I see some eggs. Um, the, the soup looks a bit red, so it might be like some tomato or maybe just some, uh, kimchi. I don't know. <laughs> like it really is, you know, so, um, different like to us that we can really not guess what, what that is made of. Uh, oh my God. Like this is the reason why we just have to travel, man. Because like when I have a look at all these things, I just realized that we don't know anything about, about the east and we just really have to just go and have a look around then in bangkok we're moving all the way to thailand uh there is some tam which is a papaya salad oh my god i love papaya papaya is is so oh my god it's, it's amazing it's so fresh um i used to live with um with colombians and the colombian uh, flatmate that i had like he used to have papaya for breakfast and uh, yeah, so so he would actually tell me like, "Hey, do you want some papaya, man?" And I was just like, "Yeah, actually, come on." Uh, and I don't know, it's just it's it's such a good fruit. Um, I also would have it when I was a kid in in a hotel that we would go to, my parents and I, uh, in Fuerteventura, and they would have papaya for breakfast. And I remember that it was just, oh my god, it was a, it was a dream. Okay, so this papaya salad is based on an unripe green papaya, which is shredded into matchstick-like pieces. Huh, okay. All right, I thought that this was going to be sweet, but I suppose that if it's unripe, then it just has to be, like, a bit sour. And it's mixed with a lot of tasty condiments with a wooden mortar and pestle. Oh, my days. That actually has to be good. That has to be good. I mean, Thai food is just fantastic, but... Damn, like the look of that. Ooh, like there are there is corn, there is some there are some eggs, like you can see some um that looks like soya, there are some noodles again, like I suppose that's the papaya. Oh my god, that's that's just amazing. Oh I love food, man. I really Okay, and with this being said, we're going to jump to Kuala Lumpur. Um so Kuala Lumpur, if I'm not mistaken, is in Malaysia. Um, sorry if, if I got it wrong, but, but I think that, yeah, in Malaysia, there is this thing called Nasi Lemak. Nasi Lemak is, um, let's have a look. Nasi Lemak is so easily found, especially around breakfast and lunchtime. Even if your hotel offers a breakfast buffet, more than likely you will find nasi lemak. The star of the nasi lemak is the coconut rice, which has been lovingly cooked so that it is nice and fluffy. It is served with a side of meat, usually either a fried chicken or a nice curry. The next star on this dish is the sambal. The sambal is a cooked chili sauce, usually created with a tomato based. With a, yeah. And finally, it's decorated with condiments like an egg, either boiled or fried, peanuts, anchovies, and cucumber. Ooh, nice. 
So, okay. Okay, so it's coconut rice. Then it's served with a side of meat. Uh, then the sambal, which is the cooked chili sauce. And then you put some condiments like egg, peanuts, anchovies, or cucumber. Oh my God, that's, that's great. That is great. That's just fantastic. All right. At first glance, at first glance, it might seem like a mixed rice dish, but that's wrong. Nasi lemak is actually quite complex to cook. Okay, we're moving to China. Uh, the hot pot, yes, like the hot pot is incredible. Yes, like uh, I mean, I've tried hot pot before, and I remember that I went to to a restaurant in which I would have to like um, they they would just like um, leave us the the broth cooking, and then they would. Um, give us all the food that we wanted to have, which were um, mushrooms. There was meat. Um, there was also, I actually can't remember what else there was. It was mostly, oh, there was also like a lot of spicy um, condiments there. And we would just throw that inside the pot and then we would just pick it up, um, you know, like with the chopsticks and stuff. And you have to like throw the raw meat, which is cooked very thinly inside of the hot pot. Then it just cooks in the broth like for a for a, you know very short amount of seconds and then you just like eat it straight from the broth and um, yeah they're incredible okay uh yeah the classic combo consists of sesame oil oyster sauce coriander and garlic Ooh. hell yeah oh my god yes I'm, I'm really feeling like having some food already in melbourne there are freak shakes <laughs> what the hell is this all right Freak shakes may have been born in Canberra, but in Melbourne, we took them to a whole nother level. Uh, <laughs> Melbourne's kept, <laughs> it's just, it's really funny to see because it's like a, it's like a milkshake that has like uh, popcorn that is colored in, in different colors. And then you have like sweets and, and <laughs> I mean, it just really looks like, like a drink that you would have uh, you know, on, on a cafe for Monsters, Inc. in Disneyland. <laughs> okay, for the uninitiated, a freak shake is an ordinary milkshake. The milkshake merely forms a base for what is not a drink, but an entire meal. That's right. The milkshake is topped with every imaginable topping you could desire. Cake, candy, Nutella, donuts, waffles, even chick. What? Even chicken? Oh, gee. Oh, my God. Uh, just try not to think of the calories. <laughs> okay all right that that was very weird i mean just have a look at that like the freak shakes i really don't know how to, how else to describe it they just look like you know like monsters from monsters inc <laughs> they just look really funky i like them uh then tacos in mexico city yes like look tacos in mexico are not the same tacos that you have at taco bell i can't stress that enough if you want to try tacos just don't go to taco bell just go to Mexico <laughs> or to any Mexican taqueria. They tend to be like smaller, right? And and they are um, made of corn most times. Uh, and then they just put like either, um, what do you call it? Carne mechada, which is like this, um, what do you call it? Like stringed meat, right? And they would just put like some pico de gallo, which is uh, tomato, um, some uh red onion uh it would also include some cilantro some uh, lime juice and and then obviously like a bit of um a bit of spicy some people have it with pineapple 
uh yeah like i've heard that that is a bit of a controversy in in mexico like most people don't have it with pineapple and what is imperative is that you have them with spicy sauce like you can't have your tacos without um spicy sauce so yeah um you can find street taco stands all over the city as well as little uh, you can find like a little hole in the wall restaurants and large chains all selling this incredibly delicious food. Yes, I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, tacos al pastor. Oh my god, those are great! Like, tacos al pastor, I mean, that is, um, like a way of cooking the meat, and that is like, I mean, it just it just becomes thicker and just very. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Ugh. Um, it just it's 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 cooked like until the meat is like very uh rich in flavor um it just really gets like this meaty sort of um almost sweet uh sort of taste to it and then they just put it on the on the taco and they just put like uh, some red onion and and obviously like the the usual cilantro and stuff but jesus christ like those those are great oh try not to think about it okay let's move on um Buenos Aires, we go to the choripan. Choripan is, I mean, is pan, which is bread, and chori, which is chorizo. So um, it's like this, uh, it's like this bread. Uh, I've seen this before. Like this is the the usual food that the Argentinians would um, take to the stadium uh, on a football day. So uh, uh, there are so many stands uh, selling choripanes like outside of the stadiums in Argentina. And I, I frankly think that it's one of the biggest blessings that, that the Argentinians have there. Like choripan is just amazing. And they have a sauce called chimichurri, which is uh, made of uh, herbs. Um, and uh, I, I think that sometimes they just add some tomato or maybe like some vinegar and stuff because it tastes a bit sour. But it also has like some herbs that, that I see have been uh, blended in there. It has some oil. Um, it really is fantastic. I mean, in Argentina, like the, and this is something that I will defend hook, line, and sinker. Like the Argentinians are the best at cooking the meat in the world, in the world. And, and I will fight anybody who says otherwise. So, so yeah. Uh, well, anything else about choripan no it's just chorizo bread and chimichurri and that's it all right let's go on to medellin the bandeja paisa yes I've, yeah i told you that i lived with colombians and then one day like they invited me to to having a bandeja paisa uh paisa is in fact the way to call people from medellin so any anything that is paisa is basically from medellin and the bandeja paisa is just beans eggs avocado, bread, uh, peppers. Um, I mean, it really has like, I'm, I'm going to get like the, the whole list here. Frijoles, which are red beans, white rice, carne molida, which is ground meat. There's chicharron. Yes, that was, that was fantastic. Which is um, fried pork. Uh, yeah, it was chicharron pork? Yeah. There is a fried egg. There is uh, a fried banana which is, um, it's interesting if, if you've never tried it before. There's chorizo, there's arepa. Yeah, arepas are something that I've seen in a lot of countries in, in, this, in the northern part of South, of South America. 
Um, I personally prefer the Venezuelan ones, but the arepas that they make also in, in Colombia are pretty good. Uh, then they have also ogao, which are which is a stewed tomato sauce. There is morcilla, which is a black pudding sausage. Uh, I didn't know that they had morcilla in, in bandeja spices. Um, there's avocado and a bit of lime. Yeah, so you can just imagine like how big this dish is. It's, it's literally like, it's it's huge. Okay, then we move to El Salvador. Uh, and we have the pupusa. Oh, never heard this before. So the pupusa is a stuffed thick tortilla, uh, stuffed with cheese, beans, and chicharron, which is the, the pork that I mentioned just now. Um, damn, like that actually looks very good. So it's like the, by the way, the tortilla that, that they're referring to is not the Mexican tortilla because a lot of people like, uh, think that the tortilla that exists in Spain is the same thing as the as the tortilla that they have in Mexico. It's it's a different thing. Like the the Mexican tortilla is rather flat, and it's made of either corn or um, wheat. But the one that is made in Spain is basically like uh, an omelet, a thick omelet that is stuffed with things inside. So it would normally be potatoes, but. But yeah, so this is the the tortilla, like the the Spanish connotation of tortilla. It's rather a thick um, omelet that that is stuffed with something. So I think that it is stuffed, like I was saying, with cheese, beans, and chicharron or loroco, which is a fragrant flower bud. Never saw that before. Uh, never heard of that ingredient before, loroco. But yeah, like it just, oh my God, that looks great. And I see it's also served with, with a bit of a sauce and, and some vegetables to the side. Yeah. Uh, then we go to Egypt and they have Molokeya. Molokeya, like, is the signature Egyptian dish and uh, is made from the chopped leaves of the jute mallow plant cooked on the low heat in, cooked on low heat in beef or chicken broth. Oh, damn. That, that, oh, my God. That looks amazing. That looks so good. The secret to God, Molokea, lies in that gasp the cook makes when adding this mix to Molokea. Huh. Legend says that Molokea was named Molokea, naming, meaning royalty, when Egypt was a kingdom, and the less privileged weren't allowed to eat it. So every time they cooked it and feared to be caught, the cook would make a gasp out of fear since then it has become a tradition ah okay so that's why they mentioned the gasp just now all right because i was a bit like gasp okay so molokea is the type of food you either fall in love with at first bite or absolutely hate for its slimy texture yeah i see that molokea is not one dish it's literally like a, a bunch of different dishes i see there's some there's some bread um i see there is like a bit of a of a, of a herbs uh, paste. Then I see what look like um, pieces of, of meat over a, over a rice. I'm not sure if, oh my God, I really don't want to offend anybody, but it, it really does look like there is rice and there is like some, some meat over it. And then I see a collection of vegetables to the side and, and I see some peas. I see some 
Um, tomato, I see, would look like mushrooms. I'm not sure. But, oh, yeah. But, oh, my God, this these look good. These look good. These look very good. Okay, then we move to Tel Aviv. The hummus. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hold on. Like, isn't the hummus from Lebanon, though? <laughs> like... I know that Israel and and Lebanon, like they share a lot of history, and so does Palestine. But, but, but I'm I'm just saying, like, isn't isn't hummus Lebanese? <laughs> it's uh, for those of you that don't know it, which I suppose not many, because like hummus has just become too popular already. It's um, it's chickpeas that are mashed. Uh, you also have some olive oil there, uh, garlic, and tahini. Um. Um, it's mostly, most often accompanied by freshly baked pita bread. I don't see if there, I don't know if there has to be a difference between the Israeli hummus, the Palestinian hummus, and the Lebanese hummus. I suppose that they're mostly the same. Um, so, yeah. Oh, this is something that I didn't know. Contrary to what most people outside of the Middle East think, hummus isn't served cold. It's the kind of dish that has to be prepared and eaten right away as the taste changes within hours of preparation. Oh, oh look, I didn't know that. I, th I always ate my hummus rather cold. In fact, I would just put it in the in the fridge like whenever I took a, a bowl of hummus from the supermarket. Damn, that's that's interesting. We're moving to Delhi now. Indian food. Ooh, like, like, like just picking one dish of Indian food like out of all the ones that they have. <laughs> Yeah, then we have the Dahi Bala. The Dahi Bala. I'm going to ask my Indian flatmates here if if that's the, the dish that they would go for. And I'm sure they will say no. Because, <laughs> like, if you know any Indians, they will always pick their hometown dish over the whatever is most famous outside of there. Um, so Delhi is known for its love of street food. And this... Uh, Dahibala is uh, what is this man what is authentic in the long list of street food is the Dahibala which I haven't found anywhere else in other parts of India Bala is nothing but a fried green bean paste served with sweetened curd aka Dahi in, in, in Hindi uh, okay it is usually found at every every other street vendor but the best ones I have had are from Natrash Dahibala shop in Chandi Chwok um, Okay. Uh, I really can't describe it because it, it, I don't know, it just looks like a, I see it like, I see some spices, <laughs> but that's not, that's not something that is going to help because it's Indian food in it. Um, and then I see, I think it's a massive egg. I don't know. Um, it really is strange. I really don't know how to describe it. Um, yeah. I, I suppose that it has to have rice as well. I'm I'm really not sure. I'm sorry about this. Uh, then we move to Montreal. Uh, they, oh, they give us the poutine. The poutine. <laughs> the Vladimir Poutine, I suppose, was born in Quebec in the 1950s and consists of French fries. Ugh, French fries. French fries, by the way, are Belgian. <laughs> and cheese curds topped with a brown gravy. Oh, nice. So it's basically just like uh, chips with cheese and gravy on top of that. Okay. Today you can try variations of this dish around the world, but this quintessential Canadian food remains a source of Quebecois pride. 
<laughs> I heard that the Quebecois are quite funny when they speak. Like they don't say we, oui, like the French would, <laughs> like the French would say. They just say what. <laughs> so, so yeah, apparently, like the the Quebecois um, slang and the and the Quebecois accent is is quite funny. Okay, so with this, we're going to be wrapping it up for today. I suppose that if this didn't make you hungry, then then you definitely must have had breakfast at this point. I myself will go and raid the fridge in this very moment. And with this being said, I am very happy that you stayed all the way till the end. Um, if you did, make sure to subscribe because I'll be uh, I'll be uploading some more episodes. Um, exams period is coming up soon, so expect expect a bit of um, of a delay between episodes. But yeah, uh, this is Bridges episode four, and we talked about food today. You know, next time it'll be about whatever. I mean, I haven't decided it yet, and I probably won't decide it until five minutes before I start recording. So there. With that being said, have an amazing day. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, I just hope that you learned something new today. Take care and peace.